Well, good morning. I know typically you don't know who's going to preach on a Sunday. I'm Shirley Giles Davis. I'm your catalyst for equipping. But who's supposed to be in this pulpit? Well, I mean, God knows, right? But uh, Carl Hoffman was going to preach today, and he and Rupali are feeling under the weather. So what I need to say to you is, um, I am just the vessel who is delivering the sermon script that Carl prepared. Um, and you know, JDN who lives with us and Rob both said, why don't you just rewrite it? And I said, cause I read it and it's awesome, right? I mean, Carl does this fabulous job of crafting uh, the sermons that he delivers. So please know that this is not me, this is Carl, and um, hopefully it is actually God speaking through these words. So when I'm, when I'm giving his testimony, uh, play along, pretend that I'm him, right? So um, let's start. So we're continuing in our sermon series, Close Encounters with Jesus. And so far, we've seen Jesus deliver a demon-possessed man, cleanse a leper, and heal a paralytic. And these encounters with Jesus have brought cleansing and healing and freedom and social acceptance and fresh new beginnings. And most of all, encountering Jesus has meant finding new life. New life here, new life within. So just pause for a moment and think, how have you personally encountered Jesus? How have you encountered Jesus? Many of you are familiar with Carl's story. He didn't grow up going to church. He was raised biculturally, and when they were little, he and his sister were taught to say table grace and bedtime prayers in both German and English. And sometimes, Carl's dad would read them some bedtime stories from a children's Bible. But Carl didn't personally encounter Jesus until he got to college, where he met Christian peers who he could admire and respect, guys who were smart and funny and devoted to Jesus. Befriending people like this made Jesus real and relevant to Carl. And in the summer of 1982, he found himself kneeling on the tile floor of a friend's bathroom in Honolulu, praying to Jesus. And he returned home two weeks later as a Christian and began to live out his new faith in his fraternity. And he says that was challenging, to say the least. And Carl says, looking back on his conversion, it was mostly an ethical one. He vowed to take Jesus seriously in that moment, and it meant doing certain new things and stopping doing certain old things. But it wasn't until a few years later, as a newlywed in seminary during a painful clinical depression for Carl, that he found the grace of Jesus Christ. In Carl's weakness and struggle, he found Christ's love and help for him personally. And so since then, Carl, as many of us, has had highs and lows and encountered Jesus in a variety of ways. The relationship is nuanced and layered and ever-changing. And I can relate. I mean, others led me to Jesus, and they modeled Christ-likeness for me in some profound ways. And I can also relate to the going from intellectual and emotional ascent to Jesus to deeper faith and trust in him as Lord and Savior. And I've experienced healing, that encounter of the woman who grabs his cloak 
I can relate to that. I've had moments of crisis that we're going to talk about today, storms where I've wondered where he is, and other times where I have just a deep and clear sense of his realness and his presence and his power and his grace with me. So that's just a bit about Carl's and my close encounters with Jesus. What's yours? Today we're going to watch another close encounter with Jesus, and this time it's one that was shared by his disciples in a very scary moment. Their setting was frightening, and then what they learned about Jesus was frightening and wonderful altogether. So let's look at the text, Mark 4, 35 through 41. And it says, That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we do sometimes as we wake up and hear the news feel like yet another furious squall is swamping the boat that we're in. Lord, we just ask in this moment that you would quiet our hearts, that you would still us, that you would open our ears to hear your message to us today, individually and collectively. Lord, be with Carl and Rupali and others who are ill. Would you bring healing to them? Would you be present with them? Would you grant them rest and peace? Pray this in your name. Amen. So, Carl grew up in Southern California, and his family happened to have a beach house in Dana Point. And they spent many weekends and spring breaks and summer vacations near the ocean, in this, on the sand and in the waves. And as Carl says, he loves the ocean when he's on the shore, but not so much when he's out at sea, and especially when he can't see land. The motion of the waves also leaves him feeling um, strange, right? So when he's, he's, he's been seasick when he's deep sea fishing, he's been seasick when he's on a cruise, and then when you get back, you feel like the solid ground is moving, right? So all of that. And in addition, he says when he flies across the Pacific Ocean to Hawaii or Asia, he finds the op great open stretches of water underneath him where you cannot land pretty unsettling. So let's just say Carl is not a seafaring person. And neither were the ancient Israelites. As far as we can tell, the sea scared them. Unlike the Phoenicians or other seafaring tribes, the Israelites preferred the land. They found the ocean terrifying. And the Bible that they knew, the Bible that we read, uh, the sea is one that is full of chaos. The watery deep harbored, harbored evil creatures, sea monsters, and forces of wickedness, all that opposed God. 
In particular, the Israelites feared Leviathan. Leviathan was the great sea monster that lived in the deep. In the Old Testament, Leviathan makes his appearance in Job, Psalms, and Isaiah. But as scary as Leviathan was, God was stronger. Israelites believed their God was sovereign over all the ocean symbolized. The Lord controlled the chaos. The Lord pushed back the rising tide that threatened life. The Lord commanded and the waters obeyed. We see this in the first creation narrative in Genesis 1. God commands the waters and they recede. They're no match for God and his powerful word. We see this in Exodus as the Israelites are delivered from slavery in Egypt. God commands the Red Sea and it parts before Moses. The Israelites are saved from evil and delivered into freedom. We see this in the book of Jonah as God stills the storm and saves Jonah and the sailors from the wind and the waves that threaten them. And we see this throughout the book of Psalms in verses like these. Psalm 89.9, you rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Psalm 65.5-7, God our Savior stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. And Psalm 104.7, but at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. So as much as they were scared of the sea and all that it went with it, the Israelites trusted that God alone was sovereign. The Lord could control the chaos and calm the flood. And all of this gets us ready for today's close encounter with Jesus. So as Carl says, one of the great rules of biblical interpretation is always read the text in its context. And the context for this Mark 4 passage is Jesus is with his disciples and they're on their way to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, the pagan Gentile side. He's about to encounter a demon-possessed man. So Jesus is headed into spiritual warfare. This colors our text. When it says that Jesus rebuked the wind, the verb is the same for when Jesus rebukes the demons. This recalls what we just learned, how the sea in Jewish tradition stood for evil opposition to God and how God's word tamed the evils symbolized by the sea. In our passage, Jesus is replaying much of this Old Testament narrative. Jesus is opposed by the dark forces of the sea and his word is sovereign over them. The sea and all it symbolizes is no match for Jesus. When we study the Gospels, particularly the synoptic or same-view ones, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's helpful to compare them, to find out what they have in common and what they record a bit differently. And Mark uses a few fascinating nuances in telling this story of Jesus stilling the storm. So Mark alone puts a time stamp on the story. It's evening. So darkness is setting in, lending an intensity and fearfulness to the story. Mark alone says the, the disciples took Jesus along just as he was. So Jesus appears maybe more human, more vulnerable, more needy in Mark than in Matthew and Luke. Mark alone has the detail of Jesus sleeping on a cushion in the back of the boat. 
It feels like an eyewitness account, and this would make sense if Mark gets his material from the Apostle Peter, as church tradition has said. And Mark alone has the almost rude, desperate plea of the disciples in the swamped boat. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Like the rest of his gospel, Mark's story today is vivid and gripping. Mark gives us insights into Jesus. We learn of his true humanity. He gets tired teaching and healing and needs the assistance of his friends. We learn of his deep trust in God. He can even sleep through a storm. And we learn of his clear divinity. Just like God, Jesus is sovereign over the sea and the forces of evil. With his powerful word, he stills the storm. It's no match for him. Like the Lord in the Old Testament, Jesus fulfills Psalm 104. At your rebuke, the waters fled. Jesus is divine. And the disciples recognize this, and it terrifies them. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So hear this today. Jesus is the unique Son of God who holds power over the chaos, over all storms, and over all evil that threatens to afflict us. So church tradition tells us, and most scholars agree, that Mark got his gospel material from St. Peter and wrote the gospel for the church in Rome about the mid-60s AD. This was when the emperor Nero began to persecute Christians. And the descriptions of what Emperor Nero did to Christians are horrific. They're horrific. So we can imagine this evil, this storm, was terribly frightening for the church in Rome at that time. Where is Jesus, they probably wondered. Doesn't he care if we're perishing? When storms like these hit, when evil seems triumphant, disciples wonder, is Jesus with us? Is he strong enough to help us? The Christians in Rome weren't the only ones to suffer these storms and ask these questions. Persecuted Christians in the mostly Muslim Middle East wonder these same things today. So do Christians in Hindu India and communist China and elsewhere. Where is Jesus? Is he asleep? Is he strong enough to help us? Disciples in the United States may wonder these things as our nation and our churches are so divided that our life together has become almost unrecognizable. What has happened? Is evil winning? Will these storms overwhelm us? And we may feel that here at Grace Commons too. The last two years have been rough, to say the least. The wind and waves have threatened to overwhelm us. COVID has cut our attendance and giving dramatically. We've lost pastors and staff in sad and difficult circumstances. We're needing to make changes that seem hard and in some cases threatening. Like those disciples, we wonder, will those storms swamp us? Is Jesus with us? Is he strong enough to see us through? Since its earliest times, the church has been depicted as a boat or a ship. So here's an early example from the Holy Land. It's a mosaic of the church as a boat. And here's a later example in stained glass, the church as a ship. So think about it, Christ's church as a boat. Now consider church architecture and the names we assign to places in the Christian worship space. We enter through the narthex. Preachers and choirs serve from the chancel. And the majority of Christians worship seated in the nave. 
the main space where you're seated now. And the nave comes from the Latin word navis, which means ship. We get our word navy from this. Christ's church, his community of disciples, are in the ship with Jesus, and he is with us. We're all in the same boat, you might say. It's a reminder we mustn't forget, particularly when the winds howl and the waves overwhelm us. So some questions. Our text ends with a set of three questions. Questions then and questions now. The first set of questions comes from the terrified disciples. Scared that they will drown, overwhelmed by the storm, they cried out to Jesus, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And some here may wonder that too. Barely keeping their heads above water, they too ask, Jesus, don't you care? Where are you? And maybe that's you today. Storms are hitting you hard. Evil seems triumphant. Markets crashing, savings depleted, interest rates climbing, the Marshall Fire, housing troubles, yet another COVID wave, global climate change, Russian evil rampant in Ukraine. The waves seem violent and endless. And we cry out, Jesus, don't you care? Where are you? Mark tells us Jesus is with us. He hasn't left. He's in the boat, and he's even able to sleep. Most of all, he's good, and he's powerful, and evil is no match for him. These storms will subside. Jesus will triumph. Our job is to trust him. So this leads to the second round of questions, one posed by Jesus to his disciples. He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So this September will be Carl's 30th anniversary as a pastor. And Dr. Bob Munger, Carl's late friend and mentor who preached at Carl's ordination, he's a he was a longtime pastor. He wrote the best-selling booklet, My Heart Christ Home. He ended his career as a professor at Fuller. And when Carl would meet Munger for his mentoring sessions, this painting by Eugene Bernand was displayed in his office. And Carl has shared it with us many times, and we all know the significance it holds for him. This picture captures many things. It shows us that Jesus comes in close to us when we worry about what lies ahead. Notice Jesus is not worried. Look how calm his expression is. He holds the future. He's in charge. The picture also shows us his discipleship ministry. He does two things. He puts his arm around our shoulders to reassure us of his presence, and then he points us ahead to his hopeful future. He's Lord. He's in charge. Evil and all of life's storms are no match for him. Dr. Munger would often say, Jesus only gives you one job. Your job is to trust him. That's what Jesus wants us to do, is trust him in the storm. Trust that he's God in human flesh. Trust that he's sovereign over life's storms. Trust that he has power over evil and all that afflicts us. Trust him. Trust him. Our text ends with the last question. 
And it's one that some of you who are exploring faith today are invited to answer. It has to do with your response to Jesus. Here's the question. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. May we all affirm with the early church, this is Jesus, our Lord and captain. He is with us, he is strong, and he will see us through. Amen.